cult podcast features adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence and is not recommended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Seriously, enjoy the show. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require monetary or physical sacrifices as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organization in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us, as always, we have... Andrea Gazzetta! Yay! And it's Armando's week. It's my week! Yeah, here we are, guys. All right, so uh, we have something a little bit different. I have um, a cult in mind that is sort of different than stuff we've covered in the past. So the thing about this group is that they are... uh, American-made, made strictly in America, and more than that, a little closer to home. They're made here, right in Southern California, right in Los Angeles, California, which is where I grew up, actually. Yay! Wait. Yeah. So much. <laughs> um, this group was formed in the 1960s and continues to grow still, boasting members of upwards of 10,000 currently. Damn. Um, murders in just the thousands drugs guns everything you might have been able to figure it out by now we're covering science oh no wait (laughs) (laughs) close the cribs on my right side cpt on my left side i got watson this bitch tiny lokes from the third and they screaming out east side bitch nigga still literally yeah (laughs) The Crips are, in case you're unfamiliar, uh, one of the most infamous street gangs, and we're going to cover why Los Angeles was perfect for their inception and why it's just been so fucking prevalent. Not just here, but everywhere else in the country. Everywhere from Los Angeles, New York, even the Midwest, as well as prominent membership in both prisons and the United States military. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. Bra bra. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so before uh, we go into it any further, I want to cover these sweet, sweet sources. So kcet.org life los angeles times and i'm saying life magazine not just like life in general (laughs) (laughs) if one of your sources is not d-o-double-g-y-d-o-double-g you see i'm gonna be very upset it is not not yet but we'll get to that um the orlando sentinel the orlando sentinel the Oxford University Press, uh, a great YouTube series called Down the Rabbit Hole that I'll go into a little bit later, um, National Geographic, and, and this one is controversial, Gangland. Why is it controversial? Because Gangland is hella interesting and also super inaccurate most of the time. They are, I covered, uh, we covered the ARA a couple weeks ago, and I watched Gangland for it, and they just don't fact check at all. What the fuck, History Channel? (laughs) That's like, you're supposed to be the guys. More like Conjecture Channel, am I right? That's, yeah. Hey, History Channel, if you want to buy it, I'm uh, willing to pitch you my new show, Speculation Zone. Speculation Zone! (laughs) Uh, Is it on A&E? Oh, God, I hope so. Is it a merger? Okay. Um... But yeah, I'm I'm using Gangland mainly because they have people that were involved in the inception of the gangs, and uh, their testimony in the show, I'm using that um, okay. to fill in some of the blanks. So, let's get into it. Between 1890 and 1910, the black population in Los Angeles grew significantly as black people left the South hoping to escape bigotry and violence, uh, and this became known as the Great Migration. Previously in the area, the black population was almost entirely Afro-Mexican, which is black Mexicans. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was because 
Mexico had abolished slavery in 1829, which Damn. is 30 years earlier than America did. That's a delicious taco full of freedom. And here's a real fun fact. It was abolished by their second president, Vicente Guerrero, who was black. Oh, well, right. pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. So they beat us to that black president thing by like 200 years. Yeah. And also by like freeing black people 30 yeah. years before us. It's kind of crazy. Uh, if you don't know about Vicente Guerrero, you should look into it. Um, a lot of textbooks don't mention his African background, but um, it's very well known that his grandparents were slaves. Interesting. And he himself was made Mexico's second president, freed the slaves, and then was assassinated months later oh, after mother. coming into office. Um, That's what happens when you free the slaves. You get assassinated. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty, uh, at least in North America. Yeah, that's true. Good that job. did happen to ours, too. Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the whole deal. So the new black population settled in around blocks along Central Avenue between 8th and 20th. Here's something that I think is interesting. I grew up in Los Angeles. Paige, you've lived here for a long time. Yeah, I've been here about 10 years. Andrea, you go down to Los Angeles pretty often for comedy. <laughs> so we all know this area. If you're wondering exactly where that is, it's through the fashion district in downtown. Oh, I know exactly oh, where yeah, that is. Yeah, right Senti before Alley. you get to Skid Row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these places that we're going to talk about, and mind you... Skid Row is 6th, right? Hmm? Skid Row is 6th Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's a little past that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it's 8th and 20th along yeah. Central Avenue. I know those exactly blocks. where that is, yeah. A lot of these places that we're going to talk about, and by mind you, this is, like, the early 1900s. That's when L.A. was, and it still is the same exact layout. They, ne they It just wasn't planned to be the way it is. An interesting fact about that part of the city, um, very densely packed, um, small buildings, all old buildings yeah. still. They're, most of them are original and no parking. Oh, no. I mean, it is damn near impossible to find parking. The only time that you can find it is when they've like hollowed out a building or had a vacant lot and you usually have to pay through the nose for it unless you can somehow miraculously manage to find a meter. Or if you can speak enough Spanish to tell the parking attendant, hey, I just got to go pick up something inside real quick. And then right. they'll just let you park there. Um, and in part, it's because when that part of the city was built and built up and inhabited, there weren't cars. Yeah, exactly. So in the 1940s, World War II commenced and the demand for labor in the automobile, rubber, and steel industries uh, attracted another huge influx of black Americans to migrate to the West. Was the military still segregated in 1940? Um, most things were still segregated until okay. about 1954. Okay. But... I'm just wondering if that factored into there being more black people not in the military because they were there was such a high demand for troops at that time. Um, I forget. World War II, I know that we did have some black troops uh, because as we covered in the cargo cults, there were black troops that went yeah. to okay. uh, overseas and that's how the other people saw that. Like I said, some uh, sections of the military... <laughs> went past race and was like you're not black you're an american and my fellow soldier and we right. are equals um the other thing to remember all of the factories are right on the other side of that district yeah exactly mm -hmm. and so that's why you're gonna have to um take into account a lot of this is happening during primetime racism and even a little bit before the end of segregation itself so um like i said the, there's a huge influx in the population like from 1940 to 1970 it went from 63,000 to 763,000 black people in right. Los Angeles and previously like I said the black population was Afro-Mexican with a few exceptions and mainly Asian and Hispanic and white that's who was here this caused housing in the established community along Central Avenue to become very scarce, but real estate developers responded uh, by building new housing developments in places like the underdeveloped city of Compton, California. C-O-M-P-T-O-N. Yeah. The black population continued to grow, and white homeowners believed that this lowered the value of their homes because, here's a fun fact, Compton was entirely white before they started doing this, and white people saw it and were like, mm, no, white thank flight. you. Well, yeah, white flight, but what's yeah. really interesting now is if you're currently trying to buy a house in Los Angeles, currently, 
some of the only housing available in what I would say is an, an affordable price range mm-hmm. is Compton, and it's those same houses. Yeah. So these houses are almost 100 years old, and they've gone through two different shifts because now Compton is again predominantly Latino. It's yeah. no longer predominantly black. No. It's a very... Los Angeles neighborhood shift in mysterious and strange ways. Yeah, and this is we're gonna we're going over uh, right now. This is this will show the way that Los Angeles was built up until 1970 mm-hmm. with and why everything is. Um, the white population left Compton, and anti-minority covenants and white-only deed provisions basically instilled institutionalized racism and segregation. Made sure that the black population was condensed into South Los Angeles. As the black population continued to rise, because like I said, 1940 to 1970, that's about 30 years, where it's just continually rising um, by at least, between those 30 years, 700,000 reported, Right. but there's no way of knowing. Right. Uh, As that continued to grow, new housing developments needed to be made because there's literally nowhere for people to live. Right. Uh, one such housing development was built in the neighborhood of Watts. This is similar to what's happening right now, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, they tried. They built it in Watts, and they tried to do this in order to solve the issue of housing. And in retaliation to the new housing developments, white teenagers and young men formed a gang called the Spook Hunters. Spook being a Ooh, super Jesus, derogatory geez. term for black people. Uh, and it's they did exactly what it sounds like. They violently beat any black people who cross the unmarked borders into their own community. They anyone who would come along that wasn't part of the white community they would just beat the shit out of them with tire irons, chains, whatever you could have. Sometimes uh, resulting in death. Right. Um, as a defense mechanism to fight back against the white gangs of Huntington Park and Southgate, just to give you a little bit more of like where this is going down, because um, this is the black population is in South Central, Central LA, basically South LA, and the white population right now is in Huntington Park and Southgate. Black clubs right. in South LA, like the businessmen and the Slossons, began to organize and defend themselves. Uh, so this meant. If they, if you were going, if you had to go through that area, they would accompany you. And if they saw anybody causing trouble in their neighborhood, they would beat the shit out of you. Right. And the white population began to move out of this area and into the suburbs of the San Fernando Valley, which we call the Valley, and the San Gabriel Valley, which is to the east, which is like Pasadena, Covina, Glendora, areas like that, or West Covina, if you watch uh, My Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Right. The places that we now call home. Yeah. Yeah. The suburbs. That's that's exactly what happened. Uh, Clubs like the Slossons, the Gladiators, the Rebel Routes, now with very little opposition, basically just patrol their own block and make sure that their neighborhoods are safe, and they occasionally butt heads over small conflicts. Nothing like super intense it's usually over like a football game or like a girlfriend you know stuff like that fights would occur sometimes involving knives and chains but guns were super rare and if they were there they were homemade like pipe guns literally 38s made from old metal pipes and um murder was not the intent was almost never the intent murder was uh like a bad accident especially with gangs um Come 1954, with the end of segregation in public schools due to the the court case of Brown versus the Board of Education, housing and schooling opened up for the black population. This meant that middle-class black families could leave central L.A., um, but it had the unintended consequence of they also take their businesses, their organization, and their organizing skills with them. Uh, leaving a lack of business, this kind of led to the emergence of street gangs, which was the evolution of black clubs. This is also not the street gangs that we know now. These are old street gangs. Um, think like the Warriors. Or West Side Story. Yeah, it's just a bunch of dudes dressed up in like goofy uniforms and they call themselves stuff like, yeah, see, we're the Schneider Boys, which is an actual group. The Shocks. Yeah, and they're just like, they like snap and they like do funny stuff and like their their weapons of choice were like switchblades and chains. And it's more about intimidating someone and like respect and whatever than like legitimate 
like drug business or yeah. anything like that. That's not a part of this, and murder is also not a big part of this at yeah. all. Um, if crimes were committed, they almost solely stuck to um, robbery or rape sometimes, but mainly Yikes. that wasn't the intent. Mainly it was just like if the gang was part of it, it was just like robbery, just like snatching purses too, not like bank robberies. Petty so theft. just the one type of snatching purse is not the other. <laughs> yeah. This opened up new housing opportunities in the more affluent or perceived affluent west side, creating a disparity between those who could afford to move out of the east side, which was seen as poorer, and this new space creates more turf and conflict between these groups of people that are like now fighting. Right. Um, middle class families are able to move out and even some into like the valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are able to move out of central LA completely and those who had a little bit more money but weren't necessarily like basically like lower middle class were able to move right. to the west side not much better than the east side and when i say west side east side because this will come up a lot this is uh central la or south central and the split is literally just the 110 the harbor freeway oh okay so one side of 110 versus the other side of 110 because yeah. on the east side you've got downtown yeah and on the west side you've got essentially Southgate. yeah 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 like Southgate. um believe like gardena if i'm yeah, remembering yeah, correctly yeah, yeah. yeah that's all i mean it's not i'm not talking west side like santa monica because that well because that's what i was thinking i was like i currently live on the east side and commute to the west side because ain't nobody can afford to live on the west no, side no one can live on the west side we're talking like literally just the other side of the freeway okay that's why i say perceived west more adams. affluent it's west adams yeah. is on the other side of the 110 yeah it is nicer um but it was it was more like a just like the grass is greener on the other side type that's of also deal where usc is yeah it was the thing is is that's where white people lived and then they were like fuck this shit and then they left and then there was housing that opened up and people were like oh i'm gonna live there now Mm -hmm. that's what it was so this continues until uh 1965 which is something you guys might have heard about and maybe not known exactly what happened uh the watts riots not to be confused with the la riots that's 1996 this is this precedes that this is in 1965 um, this is over the course of six days, and I'm going to break Damn. it down day by day. So Wednesday, August 11, 1965. That's my birthday. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I feel like I should have known that. That's okay. Listen to this horrible thing that happened on your birthday. <laughs> oh, man. On Wednesday, August 11, 1965, when you were, I'm thinking, 12? Um, hey. <laughs> <laughs> A California highway patrolman pulled over a 1955 Buick for reckless driving. Uh, After a field sobriety test, the 21-year-old black driver Marquette Fry was placed under arrest. Marquette also, it is worth noting, was on parole for um, petty theft, too, at the time. A roadside argument quickly turned into a fight with police, and that's when uh, his brother Ronald ran home to tell their mom, Rena, what was happening, because they didn't live that far away. So uh, his mother and brother and other people came down um, and saw what was going on. And rumors quickly spread that uh, the police were roughing up Marquette mm-hmm. and also that they had kicked a pregnant woman. Oh, geez. Yeah, which was not true. I should say that right now. They didn't kick a pregnant woman. There wasn't a pregnant woman there to kick, although they might have there was one. Hmm. Yeah, fuck the police coming straight out the underground okay but i think what's clear here and something that happens in a lot of these riots is that police are predominantly white policing black neighborhoods and there's just no trust oh yeah plus something we're gonna see is this is um roughly the same time as the 15 year uh i want to say rain but that's not the right word but like uh term I guess, but it's not really a term. Basically, it's just the LAPD is being run by Police Chief William H. Parker, who is better than previous police chiefs for the fact that he is going out of his way to end massive corruption in the LAPD, Mm -hmm. but worse because his stance is strong-arming the law onto people which wasn't really a problem for white people who were doing fine, but for black people at the time who didn't have the same opportunities, who they didn't have that many jobs, and work was drying up pretty much after opportunities were gone. They hadn't, they didn't have anything, and now they're stuck here. So 
well, crime happens. And a lot of a part of the economic problem there is that when all of the soldiers from World War II came back, there were less jobs because yeah. now the soldiers are like, oh, well, I'm a veteran and I'm white and I want this job. And so the black people that had maybe taken on some nicer jobs during the war were suddenly out of work again. Yeah, exactly. Because of these rumors and because they saw what was happening to Marquette, growing crowds of local residents uh, basically surrounded the arrest and they the officers struggled to arrest Marquette. He just started fighting back and his mother and brother started beating the shit out of officers. It got really wild. Um, one officer pulled out their shotgun and was pointing it like at the back of their heads telling oh, them geez. to stop. And then the crowd started yelling and throwing shit at the officers. Eventually they arrested Ronald Marquette and his their mother Rena um, and they took them in. And that night was the start of the riots. On Thursday, police and the black community leaders held a community meeting to discuss an action plan to urge calm. That meeting failed horribly. No one could come to an agreement because there was basically philosophical differences between what they believed were people, kind of. Yikes. And we're going to see this stuff come up. At the beginning of the Watts riots, police chief William H. Parker, who I talked about earlier, uh, called for the assistance of the National Guard. He compared the riots to fighting the Viet Cong, a Jeez. sentiment shared by our governor at the time, Pat Brown, who declared that the law enforcement was, quote, guerrillas fighting with gangsters, basically saying that there was uh, soldiers who had come home and gangsters who ran the streets. On Friday, 2,300 National Guardsmen joined the police trying to maintain order. Sergeant Ben Dunn said the streets of Watts resembled an all-out war zone in some far-off country. It bore no resemblance to the United States of America. Things were going fucking crazy. And by the way, like I said, they don't need guns to do this. They're pulling up bricks. They're throwing it at officers. They're burning white-owned businesses. They're doing everything they can to create as much destruction um, to fight against a system that they see as unjust. Saturday, 16,000 law enforcement officers were patrolling the city. Blockades were established to contain the black population. And in riot zones, the use of deadly force was authorized and promoted with signs. One of the signs read, turn left or get shot. Dang. Yeah, they're not fucking around. (laughs) This is... This is 16,000 law enforcement and about 3,000 National Guardsmen put in place to control a basically just dense population of people. And it's going fucking terribly. At this point, on Saturday, uh, 34 people were dead. 24 of those people were killed by law enforcement. Angered over the the police response because at this point, they're no longer angry about the initial start of the riots. They're angry at how it's being handled, which is they went, we're upset. And the police went, all right, bring them in. Bring in the army. We need it. Yeah. Um, Residents of Watts engaged in a full-scale battle against the police and the military. Rioters began to stop and beat police, fire department, and even white motorists who tried to enter the area. On Sunday, the riot zones were placed under a mandatory curfew of 8 p.m. After this point, nearly 3,500 people were arrested, primarily for the curfew of violations. This is where you get them saying, see, this is where we were coming from because these are criminals. But the thing is, is these 3,500 people who were arrested had no criminal background. I have a quick question here. So you're saying this is happening in 1965? This is happening in 1965, So where's like Martin Luther King? Where's the Black Panther Party? Are you going to get into that? We're going to get into the Black Panther Party. New York. Well, uh, the Black Panther Party started in um, Oakland. Martin Luther King at this time was, you know, doing... He was active. Yeah, he was active. This is is about three years before Martin Luther King was assassinated. Okay, so he's active. So, I mean, something to understand in the context of all these things that are happening and something that a lot of times white people will use as, like, justification when people of color riot is like, well, they shouldn't be destroying property or they shouldn't be doing this or that. And white people don't really understand that for centuries 
black people have been hurt for no reason by white people yeah. with yeah. these white gangs with you know black owned businesses being destroyed uh, mm-hmm. riots against black people against black is, businesses are happening all the time without any sort of justice and black people just get tired of it and so this is what happens when there's no justice yeah and this influx of the black community by the way into this climate this is what they perceived as better than what they had in the south right where there's literal like lynchings Lynchings, yeah and so this is terrible this is also different from the 1990s uh los angeles riots where the biggest criticism was you're destroying the businesses of your own they went out of their way to destroy white owned businesses or businesses that they perceived as helping the white man keep them down and something that like i want people to think about too is like when you like think about what it would take for you to riot you literally have to have nothing left to lose yeah and that's how these people feel i think the comparison to the Viet Cong is accurate in one way and one way alone in that you've come into these people's home you've come on into where they live Mm -hmm. and you're trying to control and quell them and tell them how they should live and they fight back because this is what they have right after the curfew uh the riots were quelled by sunday morning over the course of six days 35,000 people rioted, but 70,000 claimed to be supportive of the riots, but didn't actually engage. Um, There were 34 deaths total, 1,032 injuries, about 3,500 arrests, and $40 million in property damage. Damn. $40 million in 1965, which translates roughly to $120 million now. Here, I'm typing it in into... Let's see how close Google. that was. It says... I also want to note I'm that... Attacking. It says a fuck ton. It says yeah. literally <laughs> a fuck ton. Uh, you had 16,000 police, th- another 3,000 armed guards. So you've essentially mm-hmm. got one armed service member, either, either police or National Guard, mm-hmm. Per one and a half residents. And these residents are not armed. Right. These these residents They're are using... They're amputees? Jesus so Christ. <laughs> uh, They've just got regular arms, not bare arms. Yeah, 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 They're wearing sleeves. <laughs> so this... Yeah. After this, white people feared that this was the beginning of a black uprising, but many black people saw this as the uprising against an unfair system. The chief of p- police, the guy we've talked about, William Parker described the black rioters as reminding him and these are his own words as acting like monkeys in a zoo Ooh, yeah yikes the aftermath of the watts riots was pretty immediate the governor's report found that the two biggest causes for the riots were an absence of job opportunities for black people and the resentment of the lapd uh the community started to rebuild and at this point those older street gangs that i talked about disappeared in fact former gang members started new organizations and programs to help their community one of these programs was the la chapter of the black panther party again started in oakland this one was started here in los angeles um, by a former gang member named al prentice carter who went by bunchy and this was a member of the gang that i talked about earlier the slossons so bunchy started the la chapter of the black panther party and the black panthers message was community-based independence and this was well received because they didn't feel like they could rely on anyone and so you're coming in here and you're providing food for the youth you're telling them don't join gangs go to school make a future be like lift yourself lift your community rebuild give back and we all have to be in this together You know who wasn't a big fan? The U.S. government. Uh, In 1968, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover uh, issued a memo to his agents directing them to exploit all avenues of creating dissension between the ranks of the Black Panther Party. This included mainly using counterintelligence to pit the Black Panthers against the US organization. Um, The US organization was a similar group to the Black Panthers led by Ron Karenga, who is the creator of the Kwanzaa celebration. That's okay. Yeah. So the idea is to create distrust and tension between two factions that they see as a threat. Yeah. Essentially the main difference between these two is philosophical differences in like where and how things should be done sort of, but there's not, it's not really like violent. It's just like a, I think it's this way. You think it's this way. Mm -hmm. And this basically it, this led to like a deadly war like they just yeah. started they started fucking each other up in january of 1969 bunchy was gunned down on the campus of ucla Jeez. reportedly by the us organization 
But years later, a retired FBI agent came forward to report that the FBI had a role in planning the assassination. Gross. And so now we're getting into a kid who grew up during all of this. Raymond Lee Washington was born in Los Angeles, California in 1953. His family was originally from Texas and moved to Los Angeles during the Second Great Migration. Uh, they lived on the poor east side and Raymond was 12 during the Watts riots. And during the rebuilding of his community, the messages of the Black Panthers really resonated with them. Although most youths that it resonated with were too young to join because mm. they were, again, they were saying that you should go to school. You should yeah. create a future for yourself. You shouldn't necessarily get involved in groups like this until you're an adult. So, because he couldn't join the Black Panthers, he joined one of the growing number of local street gangs. Right. He joined a gang, and um, this is a story of a girl cried a river and drowned the whole, whole world. world. While she looks so sad in photographs. Absolutely love her when, when she smiles. smiles. Anyway, um, this is a story. I don't know how true it is. I found it in a couple ways, but again, some of this earlier stuff is hard to do to fact check so you just have to cross reference versus what people say right um and then pick out the truths because everyone tries to paint themselves as the good guy but um raymond lee washington he was in this gang and uh the leader of the gang his younger brother put a gun to the back of the head of raymond's brother and threatened to kill him and then essentially let him go so Raymond found out and found that g the younger brother of the gang leader and basically beat the shit out of him. Because here's a fun fact about Raymond Washington. He's big as shit. Apparently, he was uh, one of the best football players, but couldn't play because of how terrible his grades were. Oh. So he's just this big dude filled with aggression, and he's so good at fighting. And nowhere to put it yeah. safely. So he's just fighting people. And... Uh, Apparently, the leader of the gang found him and beat up Raymond. Um, but this was something friends of Raymond said that you could beat up Raymond. Like, maybe one out of ten people could beat up Raymond. But you wouldn't do it again because he would get licks in, too. Like, you right. wouldn't get out of that unscathed. Right. So, after this, uh, he left the gang and... 10 of his neighborhood friends started their own group called the Baby Cribs, or the Cribs for short, also known as the uh, Avenue Babies and uh, the Baby, the Avenue Baby Cribs. Basically, they were trying to emulate themselves after an older street gang that existed called the Avenues. And um, the Baby Cribs part was because they were the new generation. Gotcha. Basically, yeah. So when they became the Crips, was that kind of like the opposite of what happened with IHOP? You, uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. They went from burgers to mostly a pancake game. Yeah. <laughs> well, so then I, while I was reading this, it said that they called themselves the Baby Cribs or Cribs for short. And at this point, I was it was like three in the morning and I was definitely afraid that I had been researching the wrong gang. Oh, my God. That instead of the Crips, I was researching some fucking crib gang. <laughs> we carry Baby Cribs as weapons. Yeah. So, I like to kill people with SIDS. <laughs> I just imagine them all holding rattles. <laughs> it's a death What's rattle. <laughs> the cribs! <laughs> uh, so you wouldn't be able to tell them from their rattles, but you could tell them from their... And this is a quote they from a former member um, named... <laughs> whose nickname, no shit, was Batman... Uh, the group adopted a, quote, lightweight dress code. This lightweight dress code included the following. An earring in the left ear, an ace deuce cap tilted to the side, beige khakis, suspenders dropped down, a black glove on the left hand only, and a cane. Suspenders? And a leather jacket. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't think you get to have suspenders, khakis, and a leather this jacket. This is a very specific look. Yeah. Because I know you and I have seen someone that looks like this but is not a crip because anytime you go to like a giant open mic there's someone that looks exactly like this and yep. it's a comedian with a limp yeah every time and that's the thing is that they used to walk with a limp uh yeah. why is it's that like how we the got crib walking? yeah pretty uh, much that's okay. where that comes oh. from also 
Um, Do they have any specific rattle cries? (laughs) 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 I didn't edit in a sound effect. That was Paige doing a sound effect. Um, One of the craziest things is that they said that they wore leather jackets. And if anyone has been to Los Angeles, if you're wearing a leather jacket in the summer, you're hard as fuck, dude. You're the hardest gang out there. All right. I don't give a fuck. They probably hydrate a lot. Oh, they, yeah, probably. So their image, uh, you know, leather jackets, hats tilted to the side, it, and their message of basically protecting their community, it echoed that of the Black Panthers. They really emulated the Black Panthers at the time. Um, the gang also had a distinct gangsta limp and had a way of standing basically uh, with like one foot out and then the left foot out to the side and one foot going straight which we now associate with uh, gangster culture. Oh. I thought that was like the ballerina stance, but that's fine. Uh, They also carried their canes uh, and were often referred to as crips, short for cripples, by their victims. Oh, because of the canes. Because of the canes, because of the way that they walked, and because of the way that they stood. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Also, there's a story out there that basically Raymond Washington said that Crips was a nickname he adopted because he was such a big fan of the TV show Tales from the Crypt. Oh, but it's spelled different. Yeah, and I don't... There's no weight to that theory. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. Um, Raymond also spread the word of the Crips using graffiti. The taggings had phrases like, Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Ain't nothing but Crips and things. (laughs) (laughs) And the actually much scarier, Crips don't die, Crips multiply. That's that's a good one. Yeah, it's actually that uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was like draft one, but yeah, yeah that second one. That's the thing. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang shows up way more often. The Crips don't <laughs> die. Crips multiply. In fact, Batman himself, not the superhero by the way, the gang member, um, was like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Just the thing that you say. You know, you say rhymes. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang ain't nothing but Crips and things. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Crips don't die. Crips multiply. And he was like. We would just say stuff. We would just make it rhyme. And I was like, no, it's very obvious you just say stuff. (laughs) I got got that. I just love the idea that they're using an old-timey film about family and magic to, like... See, that lends more credence to the... I just like Tales from the Crypt. You know? He's just a cinephile. Like, like strutting down the street like, oh, you, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, chitty, chitty, bang, bang, we love you. Uh, around this time, the Crips also started wearing blue and blue bandanas to show their affiliation, which is great for branding. Yes. It sounds like I'm making a joke, but enter Stanley Tookie Williams. Uh, in 1971, Raymond approached Stanley Tookie Williams at the school that they both went to, Washington Preparatory High School. Um, as I mentioned... Raymond didn't have the best grades and got into a bunch of fights and had a lot of run-ins with the LAPD. Uh, his mom described him as kind of like a guy that like kept the bad people out of the neighborhood. Most other people described uh, Raymond as a bit of a bully, just a dick and, yeah. a, and an asshole. Um, Tookie Williams was not from the east side. He went to Washington Preparatory School, kind of like a, a continuation school. Okay. And he came from the west side. And the parallels between Tookie and Raymond were crazy um, because on the west side, Tookie was equally as big of a gang leader as Raymond. He was also bigger than Raymond. He's just a fucking stacked dude. Yeah. Like, if you look up pictures of Tookie, it's insane to see how buff this dude was. And he's a teenager. He's in high school. Right. And so he did the same thing. He was big. He was a great fighter, prominent gang leader, and he wasn't afraid to go after bigger, more established gangs in the area like the Brims. Uh, Raymond proposed that they form a confederation of the gangs under the influence in their respective areas. Basically, hey, we're all Crips. You rule the west side. I rule the east side. It's kind of like how McDonald's franchises. Yeah, it really (laughs) is. It's just kind of a franchise situation, except instead of uh, Big Macs, it's uh, big ass whoopings. Being able to compete with larger gangs really appealed to Tookie because, like I said, his personal mission was taking on giant brawls against other better established gangs, like uh, specifically in the West Side, the Brims. But why does he want to do... Like, I don't understand why they're fighting. Dominance. 
I run this neighborhood. I earn your respect. I am the king of my neighborhood. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just something that appealed to them at the time. He also uh, also joining in on the uh, the agreement was another gang leader from Compton, Mac Thomas. And so this was the birth of the three largest sets of Crips, the West Side Crips, the East Side Crips, and the Compton Crips. This is when they became one of the largest gangs in Los Angeles. And this is how the gang spread. Um, it went through neighborhood lines, unlike most other gangs at the time. Like I said, gangs kind of emulated the older gangs by like, I protect my neighborhood. This is me and my neighborhood, and we're here. The Crips are the first one to be like, I'm whatever neighborhood I'm in, I'm a Crip now. Right. I'm Cripping. So if I'm in the West Side, I can still go to the East Side. Right. Because I'm part of that gang. I can go to Compton. And so this spread, and because they were able to be larger, spread via the school system. Because okay. kids join the Crips, and then they get kicked out of school. They go to a new school, and then they recruit more people. And Stay this, in school. Join the Crips. Exactly. It's very similar to how prison gangs are formed. It's just a different type. And you can make the argument that... The way that we have reform schools in America is not that different to how we do reform for adults in the sake of prisons. Right. Uh, by 1972, the Crips had six main sets. The East Side Crips, West Side Crips, Compton Crips, Inglewood Crips, 104th Street Crips, and the Avalon Garden Crips. And at this point, they had over 200 members. By far Dang. the largest Los Angeles gang at the time and just fucking basking in it. The Crips saw themselves as modern-day Robin Hood, stealing from the surrounding crime-filled areas and keeping their own areas safe. Um, committing crimes in other areas kind of means that it's not a victimless crime, obviously, because you're also encroaching on another gang's turf. The Crips sought to absorb smaller gangs that existed in their new territories and previously more established gangs, like I talked about, the Brims and another gang, the Black Pea Stones, fought back against the rising tide of blue. The Black Pea Stones was once one of the largest gangs in LA, and they they ruled from like Fairfax to Figaro. Like they had a lot of turf. For for those of you who are not from or in Los Angeles, Figaro to Fairfax constitutes roughly an hour and a half of driving. Yeah, right now with it's, traffic. Yeah, it's a lot it's a of lot of area yeah. to cover. Um, and that's when the Crips started going into their neighborhood and they started doing things like robbing, fighting, raping, anything that they wanted to because they had the numbers to back it up. You have that turf, but they have straight up numbers on you. Right. One such robbery involved the jacking of Robert Balu Jr.'s leather jacket. Um, so there was a concert at the Hollywood Palladium. Um, involved in this concert actually was one of my uh, musical heroes, Curtis Mayfield, okay. who is amazing. After the concert, uh, Robert, who was the son of a prominent attorney, left, and a group of Crips basically tried to rob him for his jacket. Because at this, at this time, they still wore leather jackets, and that was a thing. If I want it, I get it. Robert refused to give up his jacket, and he was beaten to death. Good lord, for a jacket? For a jacket. They took his jacket, and this was um, when... This is when the media covered the Crips. This was their first public murder, and it showed... What year is this? This is in 1972. Okay, so there's this distinctive shift in seven years from a protective gang to just straight up whatever the fuck I want. And this is the thing. This is why it got media coverage, because gone were the days of, like... It wasn't. It was no longer like, oh, I'm protecting my block. It was like I run Los Angeles and I'll murder or steal from whoever I want, and I don't give a fuck what you think. Right. And they they were they were outlaws again. They were turning Los Angeles back into the Wild West. And um, after the murder of Robert, the media started covering the Crips like crazy, and this actually backfired. And the gang was able to recruit more and more <laughs> members, and even created sets in different neighborhoods that they weren't in before. Oh wow. Along with the Black Pea Stones, now smaller gangs like the Brims and the Athens Park Boys refused to merge with the Crips and often clashed in violent ways. They were gangs that had been there before the Crips were there, and they didn't want to give over their identity to become just part of this massive big group. Right. It's essentially just like you just don't want to merge over. You know, you're holding your ground. 
Look, I don't really believe in everything you guys stand for. I'm only into the more murder, less rape. That's for me. So it's just like a branding issue. I think like economically I'm a brim, but socially I might be more of a crip. That's the thing. I just like blue is not really my color. <laughs> That's really what it would come down to for me. <laughs> The Crips even caused new gangs to spout up. Like the Piru Street Boys was a gang started by kids who lived on Piru Street, and it was formed because members of that neighborhood were being bullied by Raymond Washington himself. And Piru is very important later on. Yeah. Uh, in June of 1972, Frederick Garrett, was, who was a member of the Brims, was murdered by a West Side Crip, this gang being led by Tookie. This marked the first murder of another gang member by a crip. Again, fights used to just be over bullshit like a girlfriend or football. This was over like, I don't really like you. So they murdered somebody. Yeah. And it was never really gang related. This was the start of gang related murder. Right. In retaliation to this, the Brim struck back on August 4th by murdering Thomas Ellis, one of the original uh, OG crips. This began an all-out assault on the Brims and the increase in violent attacks on all other gangs. They basically were like, oh, yeah? Well, this is how we do it now. We run L.A. All the other gangs were completely outnumbered by, like, a massive amount. And that's when, in late 1972, the Piru Street Boys held a meeting in their neighborhood to discuss the growing Crip violence and member count. Several gangs that felt victimized by the Crips joined the Piru Street Boys to create a new alliance of gangs known as the Bloods. This was the start of the Bloods. The Crips were so intense, they started other gangs that eventually became the second largest group of gangs in the history of America. Small gangs not affiliated with the Crips but tired of their violence and intimidation decided to join the Bloods, and now there's no more neighborhood-centric gangs. It's just territory. So you can have blood territory, crip territory, blood, crip, crip, blood. It just depends on where you are and who got to that area first. Los Angeles was transformed into a war zone with two opposing factions, blue and red. And a lot of people always ask, especially looking for some kind of like philosophical meaning in the choice of red, do you know what it comes down to? Back in the day, they sold bandanas in two colors, blue, blue and, and red, red, and the Crips already took blue. This was the beginning of one of the bloodiest feuds in American history, the war between the Crips and the Bloods, and this is just the start of shit getting crazy. At this point, this is when the Bloods feel that they need to retaliate, and this is when we see the introduction of another key component of gang life in current day street gangs, the selling of crack cocaine. I have a quick question. What's up? So what exactly, what parts of the Crips as a gang make you classify them under the idea of cults? So Crips in the way that they come about are a group of people led by a charismatic and basically terrifying leader Raymond uh, Williams. Raymond Williams put together everything under a group of people that were supposed to come together and create a better community for their area. And he even did stuff as far as like giving them a uniform to wear. He mm -hmm. said, you wear this. You go and recruit other members to join our cause. We do this. But then they needed stuff. So what they did was they gave up their normal lives and started committing crimes. And all of the money, you have to give a kickback to Raymond. Because whatever you earn is also his because he's your leader. As and also, we you can't get out once you're in. Yeah, blood in, oh, blood out. that's blood in, true. Blood out. The initiation for Crips now is way more intense than it used to be. But now, you're essentially... Uh, the term is you're... Um, jumped in. You're jumped in. You're beat up until... Mostly until an inch of your life. <gasps> and then if you survive, or usually when you survive, you're in. Some other people claim that gang uh, initiation involves murdering people, and sometimes it's true. The thing is, is this is the beginning of where we see gangs uh, come from. Like, modern street gangs. Gangs in and of themselves are very interesting because it's a group of people who fall under um, just this rule over basically where you live, where you're a part of. And it's just, there's a lot of parallels between the way that cults run and the way that gangs came about. 
To put it into kind of a little more perspective, growing up in the Bay Area, Oakland's gangs work a little bit differently. Yeah. So in Oakland, and I don't know if this is still the case, but I know when I was in high school, this was the case. Uh, your gangs were delineated by your area code. Yeah. Um, so I worked with a girl who was in a female faction of 510. And they would have to, she would occasionally take time off work to go jump a girl in. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the worst part is that uh, you can't even put that under uh, maternity leave. Because technically yeah. you're birthing a new member no. of your gang. And what was really weird is we worked in 925, but she was a 510. Yeah. That's the thing is that it used to be like that. It used to be like your neighborhood was your group. That's why you have stuff like these gangs used to be like the 104th Street Boys, the Athens uh, Park Boys. This is where they lived. It's just the Pyru Street Boys, the Pyru Bloods that comes from the fact that they lived on Pyru Street. That's what it used to be. It used to be your neighborhood was your set. But now this changed everything. And this is different factions. Now has the kind of the the blossoming of these gangs does that come at this point are police choosing to kind of just totally neglect these areas no in fact you've seen a new influx especially recently of gang units so um there's something that some people don't have while they grew up that i may have been introduced to especially with where i'm from um, my hometown of Indio, California, and I grew up in Los Angeles for most of my life, um, they have gang control units. Uh, a good example is one time while I was visiting family, me and my brothers were hanging out. We were hanging out with a bunch of friends. Uh, it was me and my two brothers, um, and then they're like three or four friends. We're hanging out, we're talking, we were parked in a car, we were playing music, and that's when a giant van came by and basically, under threat of arrest, told us to break up. Gang control. If they see you as a threat of a gang, they will go out of their way to stop that from happening. So just four brown boys in a car? Essentially, three brown boys in a car, maybe the weight of six, but three of us total. <laughs> and another three outside constituted possible gang. Somebody called that in and they came and fought. Like, they tried to split us up. And that's the thing is that you have gang control. You have the outlaws of... Um, when I went to high school, they banned hats. It was not allowed in my high school that you could wear a hat because certain hats indicate gang... Um, affiliation. Affiliation. For well, example... certain teams... Yeah. Which is crazy because it's example, like completely unrelated to the actual team. In um, in Long Beach, they wear uh, some gangs wear New York Yankees caps, mm -hmm. including the gang that I believe um, rapper Vince Staples talks about right. often. So it's like wherever you Old are, White Sox cap. Yeah, mm -hmm. I even uh, as I was explaining to you uh, earlier in the East Side in New York, uh, Crips out there wear um, uh, Kansas City Royals hats. That's how they identify themselves. Here it's easier because we have a local blue team, the right, Dodgers. Right. But um, Los Doyers. Los Doyers. And that's the other thing is that the affiliations that these gangs have, as we'll get into um, in the next episode, are crazy. They have affiliations to Mexican gangs, and they don't like Mexicans. Oh yeah, they are not friends with MS13. <laughs> no, they're not. But the Bloods are, and that that's where it becomes is this this is over bullshit. This came from you can. You can mark the Crips coming down to somebody beating up Raymond Williams and him going, all right, no. And yeah. then you can mark the start of the Bloods by two high schoolers being beat up by Raymond Williams. I mean, this, this area at this time was just a powder keg waiting to go off. This was mm -hmm. going to happen. Yeah. Somebody was going to do it. And Raymond Williams was the first charismatic leader to come along and go, okay, it's my time. Because in a sense, there isn't like there's no justice there's no opportunity this is a place where people are just like well what what can i do people yeah. are beating me up yeah. like, and the thing is is that i've gone over the history of this from the 1940s until around the start of the 1980s that's 40 years and you've seen two cycles repeat you saw people come in and say all right we're gonna make our communities better and then the government came in and was like nah and then they're like all right well we're gonna do street gangs and we're gonna do it this way and then the government came in and they were like nah and then they were and then they were like okay black panthers we're gonna build ourselves up we're gonna build our community and again they were pushed down and so it just each time it's more and more and more 
And I believe right now, um, currently, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but eventually a truce is put on the Bloods and the Crips that is not always followed. But a general truce between the Bloods and the Crips was in effect, and I think that we're currently living right now through this new form of um, building up your own community. Right. But we'll see if that sticks or if history repeats itself and gang violence gets even worse. Right. Do the Bloods and the Crips have web pages? <laughs> because the Latin Kings do. Um, not always. But what's really funny is while I was doing this research, I watched a lot of YouTube videos and documentaries on the mm-hmm. Bloods and the Crips. And if you ever want a fun time, go down to the comments on videos on Bloods and Crips <laughs> and watch people who have things like Elmo or uh, Finn from Adventure Time as their profile pictures go, Bloods for life, dog! <laughs> Crips, it's so funny. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. And these groups... I think it's so funny that they've completely lost sight of what caused any of these things to happen. Yeah. And the people that started this aren't here anymore. Right. Um, And it's just insane. And so for that reason, I think that uh, I mark them as a cult or a cult-like group. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like if someone took the teachings of Jesus Christ and used that to instill hate about other people. It's really weird. Well, yeah. you see how these things start off one way and then turn a different way. Like the Black Panthers started off as building up the community and then through government meddling basically fucked everything up. And then this thing too, the gang started as a way to help your community and then they fucked everything up. And then it was, we'll see next week, hopefully, um, crack cocaine is introduced, prostitution. They stop going from just robbing people to like actively hurting their own communities. And that's the de- like the degradation of the area and making everything worse. This is one of those episodes where I am legitimately bummed that Marie can't be here with us because Marie went to a Crip wedding one time. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't know it was till she rolled up. She was like, thankfully I wore blue. Uh, <laughs> Something borrowed everything blue. <laughs> everything blue. <laughs> she showed up and she said the bride and groom had their first dance to Sugar Sugar How You Get So Fly. Oh, that's a great song. Yeah. I, uh, I've always said that my first song is going to be uh, Back That Ads Up by Hot Boys. There you go. Fun fact, they are bloods. Oh, Yeah, Lil Wayne, Birdman, and most members of the original Young Money and Cash Money group affiliate themselves as bloods. Specifically a subset of the Pyru bloods. Uh, also famous for Pac was Pyru, I yep. believe. What kind of pie will they serve at that wedding? Cherry? Okay. No, no, blueberry! <laughs> Well, Bloods, it would be cherry. Oh, if it's Bloods, yeah, but I thought it was a Crip wedding. Well, it's a Pyru. I mean, at a Crip wedding, yes, you would serve Oh, a Pyru, I get it. Yeah. Hey. I'm sorry, I have to go. That's okay. So, yeah, that's um, that's the Crips. Dang, and then Damn. this is part one. Part one. Part and two will be next week. Part two will be next week, and that's when we will get into um, the war. The bloody, bloody war between the Bloods and the Crips. And the introduction of other gangs, outside gangs, Mexican gangs, and believe it or not, the Juggalos. Oh, whoop, whoop. Yeah. Family. I cannot wait to see Paige's old Juggalo photos. <laughs> I, I do not have any. No. Um, my, my intended uh, is a reformed Juggalo, um, he, but he's still got Juggalittle clown inside yeah one time i spent the night at Paige's house and i saw in the corner uh a a very well-worn juggalo snapback hat oh yeah we found those at the dollar store yeah yeah sure i wanted to run she means she found them on somebody at the dollar store and they robbed there was a pile of them we thought it was hilarious we bought them and then it was one of those things where jake at one point, it was just like, oh, I need a hat. Like, I'm going outside. And just, like, started wearing it. And then the other day, we, like, walked out. We've been walking around, like, half the day. And I looked and realized he was wearing that hat. And I was just like, too late now. Let's do it. Uh, you can hire out the Fago. You can hire Paige for all your Fago children's face painting needs. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did paint Jake's face for Halloween last year when he went as a jug of lumberjack. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> it was pretty great. Oh, that's so good, dude. Pretty great. 
And well, Fago is delicious. If you find watermelon pineapple Fago. I've heard cotton candy Fago is good for my cousin. That's what everyone says. It sounded like it was going to be too sweet, so we yeah. went for the watermelon pineapple instead. Here's the thing. Any soda is too sweet for me. Yeah. Uh, I hate to say it, guys, but I kind of like LaCroix. I know. I It's growing on me. Yeah. I, I got mango and key lime today, and it was really good. Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. LaCroix, sponsor me. Please send me free waters, please. We'll start a LaCroix call? Yeah. LaCroix gang, dog. This LaCroix area. I'm not oh, going to say that. Watering Bring in LaCroix. <laughs> yeah. See, I say all of this from the safety Bub- of my home in South Pasadena. <laughs> bubbles in, bubbles out. <laughs> <laughs> bubbles in, bubbles out. LaCroix for life. LaCroix for life. All right. LaCroix boy. So this might be uh, a less funny episode and a more of a bit of a bummer. <laughs> but informative as hell and interesting. Yeah, and next episode is going to be real intense. Nice. Are we going yep. camping? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to uh, join my new gang, it's the LaCroix Boys, uh, go ahead and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's oh. M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All right. Bubbles in, bubbles out. On Twitter, I am at Paige Wesley. And on Instagram, I'm at Rampage Wesley. If you want to know more about my offshoot of the LaCroix gang, which is the L.A. water, coconut water gang. Never drink the L.A. water, by the way. Uh, yeah, don't do it. If you want to hear more about how much I love coconut water and LaCroix, uh, follow me at Sundress Comic on all the things or listen to my podcast, Andrea Loves Everybody. Are you Everybody? Guys the, Everybody. Are you guys the Vita Cocos? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Don't encourage her. Yes, queen. Yes. Yes. Um, If you want to send us your stories about encountering the Crips or Crip rules or just music made by Crips, whatevs, uh, you can send that to us at cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on any of the social media, you can go to Twitter at cultpodcastshow and Instagram at cultpodcast. And if you want to send us cases of LaCroix or just multiple colors of bandanas, you can do so at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237, Like like the the Shining, Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. Nestled firmly in Avenues Gang or MS-13 territory. Yeah, yeah, that means I can go there. (laughs) I don't think I'm allowed anywhere. (laughs) Mm -mm. And... Don't drink the bloods. Ooh. Mm, yeah, never drink. drink anything. Yeah, don't drink the Kool-Aid. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.